0: You're listening to the Mountain Wellness Podcast. Mountain Wellness is a health and wellness lifestyle brand empowering mountain athletes for outdoor adventure.
1: First episode ever, I'll never forget, getting punched in the face by the tripod and the phone (laughs) fell over on me. I
0: saw it too, I was like, oh, that, that is cute
1: oh man that was bad (laughs) (laughs) what's up mountain athletes and outdoor adventurers welcome to another episode of the mountain wellness podcast i'm your host Corey reed and i'm joined with my co-host and good friend mike maina what's going on my brother ah
0: california to montana bringing some sunshine
1: Dude, you got sun. Well, we got sunshine, but I'll tell you what, the weather is uh, showed up, man. Seasons have definitely changed here in Montana.
0: Yeah, we got. We still got heat wave going. i going to get
1: your levels adjusted a little bit
0: in my headphone. There we go.
1: Yeah, dude, we had, uh, well, we have our first snowstorm coming in Saturday. Yeah, yeah. Oh,
0: you're lucky, man.
1: I know I'm. I'm actually uh, ready for some, some weather, but uh, we've been I don't know down in the 40s with some intermittent rain. We had some gnarly winds yesterday. They were sustained like 30 to 40 with 70 mile an hour gust. Just oh
0: wow, yeah, you guys get real wind.
1: Damn. Yeah, s- screaming through the uh, the valley, but uh, you could feel it. Fall's definitely in the air. Winter's coming. Not you that's in California, though, huh?
0: Oh, man. Yeah, no, we're back in the 90s again, and uh, it's interesting because Halloween's coming up, and I don't know if there's going to be a Halloween here. <laughs> like, I don't know what people are going to do, drive around and throw candy in their cars? I, I don't know.
1: Well, if it's anything like here, you got the, uh, you know, on Facebook, you got the different groups, Facebook groups. So That's hilarious oh, okay. because you got the, uh, um, we used to live in East Helena and we moved out to montana city so two different areas but he's telling us more of i would say like blue collar working class i think i was joking with a, an uber driver the other day and he said yeah work they they work hard and drink hard <laughs> 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 was, was the comment he made and i'm like all right um but anyways to that point um yeah they're basically like rebelling they're like "No." trick-or-treat like kids are trick-or-treating here they kind of took a poll online on the facebook page uh the neighborhood uh facebook page and the overwhelming majority voted to have uh halloween and trick-or-treating so we'll probably be taking our boys over there
0: that's awesome i think it's i still i think it's fine i mean i i would um on that point about work hard drink hard though uh that's funny you met it's funny you mentioned that because i was thinking about that the other day it's like here in california to if you want to go out and be social like right now the restaurants are open breweries are open and everything it's really your only real options are to socialize at a winery or a brewery or a restaurant and all of them the main social uh the social thing is drinking, is drinking alcohol. And so if you want to go out with your friends and hang out, like for me, it's hard because, you know, I'm trying to eat clean and and not drink uh, at all. Maybe one glass once in a while, but, but if you just want to go out and not drink, it's kind of, I look around and I'm like, this is literally what everybody does in my, you know, I guess in my age group, they all go out and they drink as a form of social gatherings. yeah. And uh there's just no place to go, you know, that's that's I mean unless you just go out strictly for dinner and, and but there's no place to go beyond uh just to socialize and that's kinda interesting. It's all built around yeah, drinking. Crazy. Yeah, I mean
1: going to going out to eat, breaking bread, uh having a drink, having that social just the social social engagement with people and friends is so important. Uh and you're right. It's I didn't even think about that unless... uh, I know for me, I was talking to Kayla about it yesterday because she had mentioned that she's just feeling better. She had a really busy week. uh, And uh, just with a lot of different stuff she had going on social, like with your social engagements and stuff, and she was telling me how much better she had felt. Excuse me. And um, I was thinking about it that I'm blessed in a lot of ways and i'm not affected by it because i'm doing i'm seeing clients day in and day out Mm. so i'm getting that constant engagement with people and some of them are new clients and you know i have my regulars so i get i get a good you know dose of social uh interaction with people and uh I forget that Kayla, you know, she doesn't, a lot of people don't have that right now, especially if the the stay at home moms that aren't, you know, even logging on to, to zoom that are working for corporations, but are working from home. There's still a, a social aspect to that.
0: Yeah, no, you're right. And that's a huge, we talked about that in the beginning. There was, there was that ad- adjustment period for us with our, with our wives. Like, because all of a sudden we were all at the same place at the same time every day. And, uh, but you're right. There's, uh, Uh, I mean, I work from home and I'm isolated in my working in my room on music. So, I'm isolated all day long for the most part every day. Uh, So, I need to go out. And so, it's worked out that we have some friends that are in the same boat. But you're right. The majority of the population, is that's not their normal. That was not their normal every day. So, all of a sudden, they're isolated. And they're trying to figure out, you know, going out all of a sudden becomes uh, important, I think.
1: Yeah, it's it's hugely important um i know church has been great for us that's been mm. one connection that we have with the family but even with that the that is a lot different um you know it's the same as the restaurants and and the bars and stuff it's everybody's at a different place and where they sit with it you can you know there's trying to maintain the the six feet of distance even in you know while it's in session and stuff so there's these huge gaps of people in between chairs and it's just it's just uh a, it's bizarre you know it's not right. it's i think everywhere has been affected however it's it's super important i think to not lose that social connection through all of this and to be mindful yeah. of it
0: yeah i know it's been huge for me to go out with friends once in a while and just uh we'll sit and talk for a couple hours, longer than normal, because I think there's just that, that, you said that disconnect that we've been experiencing over, you know, for a week's time or something.
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, did you, I would imagine that more people are doing outdoor activities with friends too. Um, I mean, you did your backpacking trip and I'm sure that everybody, all your, your boys were pretty stoked to to get together even though it was months ago we were still early into where i should say we
0: were you know in the pandemic and stuff but um oh yeah in california yeah we were we were they just literally opened the trails when we got to the sierras the bus was running for the first time in months and it was like it was like going into a new world because we went into tuolumne meadows and there was nothing there It was a ghost town in the middle of summer so it's just not you know that's just not normal so it's like it was just like you know it's like uh you landed on mars like where'd everybody go yeah i remember you
1: telling me in one of the previous uh episodes we did on that trip how bizarre it was coming into the first camp uh i forget what you called it but the um that's all basically through hikers and backpackers you can't drive into that spot you, you were telling me that there was no one there. It was, there was that one guy, the tree guy, I think we called him.
0: <laughs> yeah, he's out there a little too long by himself. He's like, uh. no, it was, uh, yeah, it was, it was strange, it, you know. I mean, let's, you know, last seven months have been just strange. <laughs> For sure. Well,
1: that's actually a great little uh, transition or kickoff um, to today's, discussion or topic or i guess what we want to talk about and that is outdoor adventure videography yeah i'm
0: excited shooting, about that because
1: yeah shooting video in the, the back country um, i know you and i have have had a lot of history together shooting content uh especially in the outdoors um and even stuff documentary stuff we've done together but yeah i think it'll be fun to talk about content creation
0: oh yeah no it's because it's, it's very different in the back country um than it is you know obviously when you have a controlled environment there's there's a lot of obstacles and of course the first one is weight that <laughs> weight is the big issue how much can you carry you know totally
1: and you and i were as we were talking about um this yesterday um some things came up about, you know, what is your, when you head into the back country or you're doing action sports, outdoor adventure, um, we all like to shoot, you know, we all like to capture those moments um, to share with others, whether that's photography, um, whether that's some video content or even, you know, a, a higher level production piece that's you're going to use for marketing or. Uh, for your brand or you might be a a sponsored athlete influencer Um, but anyways there's all three of those are a lot different as far as um, how to effectively I guess shoot those and capture good content but I think it'd be cool to go back Mike and and kind of share with the listeners our relationship and and Mm -hmm. as far as uh, both of our backgrounds in in video production
0: uh, content creation You're right, Uh, our friendship is, our our original friendship was based, I mean, we, you know, we met over videography and everything, and production. Yeah, totally. Um, And I didn't really
1: completely put it together until we talked about doing this episode, and it's it's pretty crazy. So, I was back, this was back in 2011, um, for the listeners that, you know, just started just picked up and started listening to us. I was in a gnarly car accident back in 2005, uh, which left me a blind amputee. And, uh, we can go into the details of the circumstances of that car accident and stuff that went down on a different episode, but I basically was in a traumatic car accident and was left, uh, a blind amputee. And, uh, <clears throat> As you all could imagine, it flipped my world upside down. I was 23 years old and was a big time athlete. Action sports was my passion. Um, But I grew up playing traditional sports all through high school Uh, everything from baseball to water polo. But I mean, my heart and my passion was snowboarding and mountain biking and basically just spending time in the mountains and anything action sports-wise, like I was there. So it flipped my world upside down. Uh, As I mentioned, being a blind amputee, that was a huge adjustment. And uh, so fast forward about, I don't know, a year, year and a half, I found myself at a uh, amazing organization called Extreme Mobility that's based up in Winter Park, Colorado. And they put on action sports camps for visually impaired and blind individuals and uh i got plugged in with them and and ended up getting back up on a snowboard uh about a year later after my accident and just for context because i'm throwing a lot at you guys and you're probably like what the heck how do you snowboard blind uh i can tell you when i first met uh, Brian Schwartz and Mindy, <laughs> the founders of XMO, and they told me that, oh yeah, we get you know it, it, we run a camp and we have blind people that that ski and snowmobile and and do all these gnarly things. And I uh, uh, I was just don't, like,
0: don't forget wakeboarding. Yeah.
1: <laughs> yes, that's right, wake wakeboarding, uh, which I did with them later in their at their summer camp. But and that was after I actually snowboarded first. That was the first board I got back yeah. up on. Um, but yeah, so I, 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 uh, attended their camp back in 2000, I think it was 2011 for the first time and got plugged in. They work very closely with the NSCD, uh, which is gosh, the premier adaptive program in the country for, uh, everything from adaptive Skiing, snowboarding, sit ski, cross country—like they just work with adaptive athletes. So, I show up to Winter Park, Colorado, and um, I'd never been around an adaptive athlete before, ever. Like I didn't, and I had people coming in. And it, the earliest in my hospital room, people were bringing in magazine articles, like, "Oh, dude, look at this dude—he's you know treading on a snowboard, an amputee." Or that was right at the time mm-hmm. when Oscar. Pistorius, I think his last uh, something. Right. Pistorius, yeah, the Blade Runner, um, which his, yeah, that crazy what happened to that dude. But anyways, those that was, that was the stories I was hearing, and I literally was like, no way, like, there's no way I could I could do something like that, and um, so I did, and I I started riding with XMO on a recreational level, you know. Fast forward two years, attending that camp, um. I developed a a pretty good system uh, that enabled me to ride solo. So I would go up with a guide and, and I mean, and this was a lot of trial and error. We tried a lot of different uh, techniques and and ways of doing it, but eventually we, we got a system down to where I was able to basically ride out in front of my coach or guide and they would give me auditory like auditory feedback and we got the system nailed down and uh so I'm sitting after one day of riding two or th- I think it was like a third year I attended Exmo the camp I was sitting in the lodge having lunch and the at the time he was the U.S. National World Cup snowboard coach the Paris snowboard coach and uh I think I've I've mentioned this story before uh, in the past, but uh, Brant was like, you're total bro. He walked up, he's like, yeah, so I heard you're pretty good at snowboarding. And I'm like, who is this guy? And uh, he uh, he's basically just said, hey, what do you think about um riding for your country, representing the US? And I just was like, wait, what? What are you talking about? He's like, yeah, I'm the US uh, para-snowboard coach. And uh, there's, there's, a, there's a whole World Cup competition uh, on the Paris snowboard scene. And they basically, he asked me if I was interested in coming and riding for them. And I showed up the next morning to try out and uh, made the team. And so that was like my start of my professional adaptive athlete career. And that was right at the time when Paris snowboarding had not yet been uh voted in as a paralympic sport so there was a huge push in like a huge push and movement towards that because we had the 2014 sochi olympics that were coming and that was like the goal was to get paris snowboarding into the olympics and mike you know like you've met a lot of uh a lot of my friends in that scene like amy purdy and mike shea and Mm -hmm. um those were like the sort of i mean they were leading the charge on that movement you know and amy that and it, it did end up becoming an olympic sport and so she and unfortunately i didn't i didn't make it for a couple different reasons um and it, my sort of adaptive athlete career took a uh, turn in a different direction but so that was uh, going back to how Mike and I met, that was where I was at. So I had just made the the U.S. national team, or at least I was training with the U.S. national team. And there was this whole World Cup circuit. I got totally fired up. And uh, I think it was only three weeks later, from that point, I met Brent and tried out and had made the team. He's like, okay, your first competition is in canada it was like in whistler i think and you got three weeks and i was like i was all fired up like sweet i've never been to never been to canada before it's always been a dream of mine to ride there and um so i go home and then i don't know i call him a couple days later i was like so what's up dude like uh how like you guys pick the plane tickets up um Basically, I thought they covered everything, and that was the the harsh reality of, "Oh, you're an amateur snowboarder, and you know trying to fund basically you gotta I had to fund myself I had to whether that was raising moneys uh, raising money through fundraisers or uh, garnishing sponsorship, reaching out to brands and companies. that was the beginning of that world for me. I was like, oh you know, it's going to cost like $3,000 to make it to Whistler to go to this World Cup event. Um, and by the way, there's no prize money to be made at these competitions. And mm-hmm. uh, so that's where I was at that time. And um, it, it's kind of funny because like, right as that is going on, I had, you know, I'm I'm like, basically stepped into this world of high-level professional sports i mean these these uh men and women are training to basically as olympic athletes and i'm like damn i need to step my game up and that's when i got plugged i got hooked up with blair and Ah, got introduced to the world of crossfit right and um so Blair is uh, a mutual friend of ours and did a lot of work with Mike and I in the early years um, in our previous venture together, Ride With Core. And uh, so Blair was just doing personal training. I wasn't in, at that time, I wasn't in a CrossFit box and I wasn't a member. I just was basically had uh, hired Blair to, to be my personal trainer to get myself to the next level and prepared for competition for snowboarding. And so Blair has this, uh, he had this badass, um, basically garage, barn style, uh, gym in Thousand Oaks, California, basically, uh, Mike's hometown, Park T.O. area. And so I, Blair had called me up and he's like, Hey, we're going to do a sesh, um, at my place today. Are you cool if, um, another one of my clients comes, which was you, Mike,
0: Ah, so okay. I,
1: that yeah. So that was the. It's it's kind of fun revisiting these because you you know you forget the details over time, and then when you revisit them, you're like, dang, that's crazy because that was a long time ago, like those snowboard years. But yeah, so I showed it seems up like a long to, time ago. Yeah, it, I know, right? Feels long. So Mike was doing CrossFit with Cameron, his son. Cameron was like 12 years old at the time. Um, and, uh, I, you know, immediately Mike and I started uh small talk and, and, uh, I was like, what's your, your story and did the same with me. What's your story? And, and we got to start to get to know each other. And right at that time I was literally at a dead end because I was so frustrated because I had hired, I was in the the process of putting together basically a production crew, um, and the reason I was doing that was because I realized in order to gain sponsorships for my snowboard career, like I had to highlight, like I had to capture me in action, and and basically have some sort of content to share with um, potential sponsors. Right. So I was, I was reaching out to friends and and Mike. You know, I have a background in, in video production. I I started. I started video production, gosh, in seventh grade. It was my first video production class. And my first project I ever worked on was a moving montage, like literally Gumby, where we had this cam... <laughs> <laughs> it was like giant cam... I don't even think... They were, were they called camcorders? But like the VHS, yeah. like the full... Uh, yeah, I think
0: so. Yeah.
1: Or was the camcorder the first like mini... I can't even remember. I think a camcorder There's- might have been the first like... M- not the VHS, but the smaller... Not the mini DV, but the smaller video.
0: Yeah, man, there were so many formats. I right, there it's was been mini ages. DV. There was super, no, not super eight, but there was something with eight in it. I don't even remember what that was.
1: High eight or yeah, high eight. Yeah, that's
0: right, high eight.
1: Yeah, so I think it was. I think we were recording. This would have been like early nineties, probably like 1994, 95. So yeah, like literally a move, uh, uh, a moving montage Gumby style, like stop record, you know, you move the little like clay figurine an inch. So that was my introduction to video production years and years and years ago. Um, and then I continued that all through all the way through high school. And I was super fortunate to, uh, to be part of a high school video production program where like Mr. Kemp, our teacher was like, he's just cool, man. He was into it. And, uh, everything from film history even to the um, broadcasting. So we had a broadcast studio that we used to stream like a morning, basically news uh, out to each classroom. So I got to work on like VTRs and, you know, like just the whole like uh, broadcasting side of it. And that was pre-digital era. That was like, you know, everything was still analog. So you had to cue it and working on analog soundboards and, and then I went into, went over to Moore Park Junior College, and started there. Um, took some film classes over there and produ- like video production classes, in hopes of you know getting into a bigger film school. Um, and simultaneously, started working in audio video, high end custom audio video. So that's sort of like my background in, in video production. And but when I had met Mike, I was literally putting together this crew to shoot a highlight video so I could gain sponsorship. So I started venting. Well, actually, let me back up. I asked Mike, I'm like, what's your story? And he goes, well, I'm a music composer. And I'm like, music composer? You don't hear that too often. That's pretty sick. And we got to talking about, you know, your music stuff. But then it was interesting because you immediately shifted gears, right, to like, you're like, yeah, well. But I'm really passionate about uh, documentary filmmaking and I'm working on a project right now. For the Wolf Connection, and, which is funny because uh, I had no I,
0: idea what what documentary filmmaking was. I just wanted to do it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, I got a right? camera. And that, yeah, totally. dude. And you know what's interesting that like you say
1: that that was me in like the fitness. Like, I was completely like, I knew I wanted to get into fitness and learn how to train and do all that stuff, but I came from like the SoCal surf skate snow punk rock background. Like, we didn't
0: train. Like, we didn't, you know what I mean? We didn't, we didn't do that stuff. So, yeah, um, no CrossFit, when you, we both had that experience with CrossFit, I remember my first experience cause I was there for Cameron cause he was in football. And so that's why he was there. But I thought, Oh, you know what? I'll do this with you. Cause it seems like a really good exercise for your you. So yeah. And Blair start, would just start, crush us. Oh my gosh. And I remember like my, one of my, my first workout, I think it was on the rower and, uh, I remember just like walking out of the rower, getting in the car as we were done with our workout, driving down the street and then <laughs> pulling into a donut shop and like throwing up out front. I was like, something's wrong with me, man. And I got sick from I know. just the rower killed me. And I had, you know, when you're not used to that, it could just burn you. Yeah. And Blair
1: always used to start off with the two 500 meter sprints on the rower before we'd even got into the the workout. Um, And that would, yeah, totally. Back, in, I remember back in the day with CrossFit gyms, man, they used to have buckets. Like there was stacks <laughs> of buckets in the gym because everybody oh. would puke during workouts. I think uh, that's changed a, quite a bit over the years. Um, yeah, I guess they like, us out, right? Yeah, where your gears are now. <laughs> but, anyways, that was like when you and I met. It was literally like, you know, we're over at Blair's house. I shared, you know, my i guess at that time really it was frustrations about you know where i was at because i knew i had this opportunity but i couldn't i couldn't produce the content that i needed to produce and um and that 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 started our relationship you're like really well man that's we might be able to work something out and that was that's how it all started right there
0: yeah yeah that was amazing too cuz the luck the fortunate thing was, was that I had the time it's like the music gave me some of my time back which allowed me to be available you know and that's one of the things I was just talking about or listening to some guys talking in the in the entertainment side of the business is you just got to be available like you know cuz shoots come up on the drop of a hat like you could get a phone call and be shooting that night you know or that day uh, if you're available so you've got to have the yeah. time and then you got to have the gear
1: Yeah, it's so true, um, and I'm just I'm just like thinking back on th- from that the beginning of our relationship as uh, as far as like content creation goes um, to where we are now, you know how much stuff we've done together in that time, and did you? I know for me, uh, going back as far as. Uh, um as it pertains to action sports or just shooting content in the mountains. Like I can remember all the way back in like snowboarding when I was a teenager. I got a camcorder and that was like my first mini DV, DV camera with the flip uh like the flip L C D screen. And that was a game changer for like uh skateboarding and snowboarding because you didn't have to, you know, have your eye up to the Mm, that mm -hmm. um whatever that dang thing's called yeah the viewfinder and uh but yeah i remember like shooting skate videos and snowboard videos like way back in the day and it's interesting to think about like we didn't have platforms to put them up on you know we didn't come home and and get them up on instagram like i would love that that'd be so rad to be able to go back it's yeah. just
0: instant. You can just upload directly to any of your platforms so fast. In the and catalog, to be able to like
1: now being you know late thirties, it'd be so cool to to go back and to have like those highlights of you know for my, all my videos. I have I'd love one day to to hand them over and have them uh, converted oh, onto cool. like you know digital. Oh, I stuff, totally do that. I have like Ziploc bags full of old snowboard and oh, skate. Wow videos of back in the day but that was my experience my first experience of shooting content um like as far as like action sports goes um yeah and, and I, I don't I think know the
0: gopro if, the gopro changed at all in, in, a, in a lot of ways dude
1: especially with stability right <laughs>
0: Well, early the hard on, part. they didn't have the stability early on. So they had this great camera, but the thing shook so bad. It's like nobody wanted to watch a GoPro content. I mean, they did, but they didn't because they knew their the shake was going to be so bad. But yeah. like, okay, snowboarding, skiing, stuff like that was smooth. But, you know, you get on a mountain bike with the first GoPro and <laughs> you can't watch it. It's just painful. Yeah. So they had, you know, the evolution had to be stabilizing all these cameras so that the action sports would... And now, of course... Uh, they stabilize things so you can watch just about any any crazy action sport and you got to put the camera right in the action that's one of my things is you've got to get the camera right up close into the action you know yeah but if it's not stable you then you've got a shaky shot nobody wants to watch it and so that you know that's always a trick as to how to keep that camera stable but being you know in the wake right you know right attached to the wakeboard or uh, on the mountain bike right on the handlebars you know when we did our
1: multi-pitch climb you captured that like you shot that entire climb we trained you actually specifically trained with the cameras before we did the climb but what equipment did you take on that one and for the listeners that just tuned in um we did a a five i think it was a five pit five pitch yeah. in Yosemite um multi-pitch sport climb and uh Mike captured everything and for any of you that have climbed before you know that climbing is already difficult let alone um, bring bringing gear along so is that what were you shooting on that did you bring multiple cameras
0: um i did i think i brought a i brought a- <laughs> of course you would i love it well i wanted to get some stills too so i had a dslr a canon dslr and then a canon video camera because you know when you're on the rock uh handheld dslr looks great image wise the canon has a very filmic look to it but the problem is it's manual focus it's uh everything's slow and you it just doesn't have the quick f- focusing and, and uh, zoomability as a video camera did. So I took the video camera with me and then uh, I wanted to shoot some stills too. So I had them both attached to the sides because I was self taught. So I quickly discovered any cameras attached to the chest or, or the yeah. front. I mean, they just get chewed up on the rocks. So I had oh, to have them yeah. The, yeah. So I remember that. You
1: had that, like, not, didn't you have like some h- side harness? Or like, yeah, I
0: I did have a chest harness and of course the lens goes right or the camera can go right on the chest, but again, the the, uh, rocks would start chewing it up. I think I learned that in the gym. I was like, this isn't going to work or I'm going to lose. I'm going to just grind my cameras. So uh, I ended up coming up with like a belt system that I was able to quick release those cameras from the side and uh but the thing is you know it's the 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 hard thing to manage is the is rock climbing is inherently dangerous has a dangerous side to a risk side to it and then you have to be focused on your equipment your camera equipment and so you know you're you're changing your brain from safety execution all that and then shifting it to okay camera shot angle and that's where it becomes uh kind of a dangerous game i i think you know because you're you're completely distracted while you're climbing
1: yeah there's a lot more variables to work with when you on the creative side but then also setting the shots up to make sure that you're in a safe position to do so but you and i both know sometimes (laughs) those epic shots come you're like oh my gosh i gotta capture this right now the lighting's perfect the angle's perfect and um that's when you might push it a little bit. And when you're up on a wall, on a rock wall, it's a little different than being down on solid ground, I would say.
0: Well, it was fun to have. Well, it was not fun, but it was, I think, essential in those first couple to have uh, a guide with us. Um, yeah. Because they could watch my rigging to make sure that it was, you know, that I was locked off or, you know, protected. Um, while I was completely focused on trying to crack capture a shot, I mean, it's, you really, it's hard to do both. And I just think it's, it's like I said, the danger level goes up when you are no longer focused on your system. You're looking through a camera and you're filming, you know? The other hard thing was audio capturing audio. I really wish we could have put a wireless mic on you. And, and we're able to hear you converse, you know, while we were out there, that would be something that would be huge. Uh, on another adventure is have some kind of mic system because it's, it's cool to watch the climb, but it's also really interesting to hear your struggle and like, and listen to you cursing the whole time. <laughs> like, yeah. I was just thinking about that. <laughs> the
1: fourth pitch, the first episode of that section, I uh, talked about getting stuck. Yeah. I would, it'd be interesting to hear what my breathing was like and how many F-bombs I probably dropped in that. You're
0: right. <laughs> uh no, because yeah no I've had that issue too where I, I was I was listening to this last climb I did, and I had a GoPro on my helmet and I could just hear myself breathing and I'm laughing because I'm like, now listening back, I'm like, wait was I breathing through my mouth was my mouth open maybe you know I wasn't I wasn't really conscious of it, but yeah, you could just hear the the exertion trying to get up a when you're out there on a rock man but uh so. Y- so on that one you you
1: you had like a handy cam and then you also your you said your slr
0: yeah so the dslr is for yeah. still now it can shoot video DSLR. yeah it's a basically a still camera that does video and, and did that along. work
1: out well or did would you if we were going to go do that same climb would you uh would you come with a different approach
0: man that's a Quit good question life. because the technology keeps changing and getting better. I mean, I I took the GoPro with me on this last one because they've come a long ways with stabilization. Um, and that's really all you need. It just depends on, you know, what you're, what kind of story you're trying to tell. If you're really trying to capture a story going up, you know, like, uh, geez, the last one I saw, I think it was Meru, the last documentary I saw. And yeah you know dimmy chin he's got his camera rig and he's a climber so he has both of those skills super dialed in so you know in that regard one of the best
1: alpine climbers in the world um, in combination with being an amazing adventure videographer
0: right and so he you know just watching how they they had to try to pull that off it's just uh were they using were
1: they utilizing gopros in that high level of production
0: I would say those look like DSLR shots to me. Yeah. Um, Because there's just a certain look you can get with those lenses and and, uh, certain shots, you know. But again, I mean, I think they they probably switch. I mean, because there's also times when you just, you can't pull a camera out, you know. And uh, if you've got a GoPro on a helmet or a chest or something, you can at least capture a really difficult section. I mean, there's just some sections that I would imagine, you know, especially for those guys that a GoPro now would be the ideal uh yeah for me operation. the gopro
1: is, seems so intimate um and I, you know for I, I i've never seen i've never seen gopro footage you know the last the last video footage i've seen was in 2005 hmm. which is interesting because at that point in time i was doing custom audio video and was specializing in rear projection so I really, you know, digital reprojection, like real high-end video projectors, cinema type. And so I understood resolution and, you know, black levels and, and all the scaling that's involved is really optimizing uh, resolution and getting that crisp picture. And here we are 14 years later, it's hard for me to like, because I remember what a 1080p, you know, high resolution, that was the highest definition at the time. Was uh, 1080 1080p, and it's ridiculous
0: you know. now. I mean, it, you know, I was excited cause f- to get uh, my hands on a 4K camera, but they made the GoPro a 4K, which was which was k- kind of mind boggling that they could make that happen in such a small unit. But it's 4K, um, and so there was that resolution. You know, now they make cameras that are 6K, 8K, 12K. It's just. Um, it's just off the charts, and I have a, I have a Blackmagic 4K cinema camera that uh, I did some shooting with, and you can see that actually on our, uh, on your Mountain Wellness YouTube page, the one about the retreats. Uh, some of that was shot with yeah. the combination that rig you had. Yeah, and so that you know, shooting a little bit of slow motion stuff with uh, that camera was just uh, at 4K at 60p. That that's a really nice image. Um, but again, you know, for the backcountry, that camera, that, that thing weighs probably eight pounds, but it's got a rig. <laughs> you, know, you know, that you just, thing's, it's a, like carrying a brick and you don't, <laughs> I'm just like, I'm not taking that out there.
1: Well, yeah. And that goes back to the beginning is, okay. So what are, what are your goals? Um, cause we know that the iPhone, the iPhone, I believe shoots in 4k, doesn't it? The, the newest it, it, one.
0: It does. And I have that. In fact, I took the iPhone 4k with the GoPro 4k with me into the backcountry for our John Muir trip. Right.
1: So just what you can do off the iPhone is is incredible. But then it's like, what is your goal? Um, what is the content being produced for? Are you just getting it up on your Instagram to share with your friends and, and you know share the, the beautiful place and the experience that you had or are you a professional athlete or amateur athlete and you need to produce content for sponsors because it's in your contract. Like those two, I think the iPhone or the GoPro would be more than enough in that situation. And, uh, any more than that is gonna, I would, it it affects your trip. I mean, it affects the, it slows things down. I mean, I know for, For example, I had thru-hikers. Remember the thru-hikers that came through the recovery den? Uh, Um, Right, I don't know, about two months ago. And they were... (laughs) It was hilarious because it was a husband and wife. And they were from upstate New York. And uh, they had just decided... I think he was a real estate photographer. And she was a dancer, professional dancer broadway like all that type of stuff and Mm. those two industries are well they they got hit hard with covid so they weren't working so they got this idea of like oh let's go do a thousand miles on the continental divide trail (laughs) (laughs) so they had showed up i got a call one day like it was an evening and it was from their producer and he's like hey uh i found the i ran across the mountain wellness website love what you're about i'd love to get um this uh, I got this couple that's doing a through hike and we're producing this documentary film, so on and so forth. And so they show up the next day to get some, you know, get some good work done, some massage and body work. I put them in the sauna, I gave them the full the full works and stuff. And it was funny because that was the first thing that I asked them. I started, you know, I was really curious about the production side of it. And I said, How's it going? They're like, Oh man, like we're so far behind schedule because back to what you were saying, like setting up shots, you know, like you can't just like flip the camera on and and have this, it, it just, you know, on your shoulder going the whole time. They're like, and man, everything just took so much longer because we'd have to have the camera crew go, you know, go ahead of us to make sure that they were getting the shot coming in. And then, and basically it became a production. And I would imagine that it, uh, it probably took away took away from their experience
0: oh it had but, to have um, it had to have. you know i mean when you're a back you know it's best especially be backpacking but if, you know when you're backcountry with your buddies last thing you want to do is stop wait for someone to go out ahead and then you know walk without pretending like you're not on camera <laughs> and walk. it's true <laughs> and, and you know it, it's just a it's just a it's a buzz killer for the wilderness, man. But it's true, I know,
1: don't even like pulling my iPhone out when I'm when I'm doing stuff like that.
0: Yeah, I mean, it, it, there's a disconnect there with what with why you're there to begin with. So, I mean, I could imagine if you, if you're doing a production, it's really not about the experience out there. It's about the production. I mean,
1: yeah, you know, and that's kind that's of reality. what I that's kind of what I got out of it. Got out of it. But I feel like you did such a good job, though, on our climb. Um, And maybe because it was just so challenging for me that I didn't even have the production, the production side in in mind because I was like so hyper focused on what you know the challenge ahead. But I will, I I just remember this moment we had on the climb, and it was the third pitch, and I think you guys had asked me if I wanted to climb last because oh, i was climbing yeah. as middleman. S- that's and right that so was i could the- get up above <laughs> <laughs> right yeah. i wanted the camera I remember angle like, oh. I- yep yeah that was scary i was a little i was a little nervous you guys had both taken off um before me so i was hanging out on that ledge all by myself but it was all for the shot
0: well you were roped yeah you were roped in which was the good thing i mean you were tied or were you i think or did you have to tie in i care. i'm pretty sure you were tied no in, but- i had to no, I had, had to, tie to tie in. in.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I had to had, tie yeah. in. That. So okay. we were full on sport climbing. So yeah, he, he had, because you were tied in to Bolay. So he just, I had like a a short line uh, connected. To, I don't even remember, honestly. I know a couple of the pitches he had us on anchor. Like he had set an anchor. So when we weren't on Bolay, we could connect into like a quick draw so we were we weren't just like completely free right if i remember right yeah. but yeah it was a little unnerving one i'd never done a multi-pitch climb before but two you guys were out ahead of me i had no no visual and no no audit like i couldn't hear you guys at that point it was just the rope yeah. that i that was the only form of communication that we had had
0: that was the only connection you had to getting off that rock. <laughs> that's what it was. <laughs> but yeah, no, I was trying to get the angle from above of you climbing because um, I couldn't get the side shots unless we had set up another rope off to the side, and I would have to climb separately, which is what they usually, you know, they kind of—that's what they usually do—is they'll have a to get those uh, angles of your progress. They'll they'll get around the sides, um, yeah, with a separate a whole separate rig separate anchor one thing that
1: would be really cool to shoot is um so remember when we went out to joshua tree to do some bouldering and Dorman was out shooting photography like still photography and uh just made me think of drones like that's something that we started shooting with in the last i don't know three or four years Um,
0: i'd love to be able to just stand on the ground and (laughs) film all the progress from a drone that would be awesome
1: yeah that's what i was thinking of man it'd be nice to i'm sure they utilize drones on some of the bigger feature films like free solo and uh that conrad film you've been talking about i don't know just does jimmy chin do they utilize drones Yeah, i'm trying to
0: think back about the the different shots that i saw i know there was definitely maybe a couple drone shots but but there's a couple of issues I think with drones. One is they're they're for most for the most part they're not allowed in most places. So I know that's going to be a problem. Totally. Um, you can't get too close to the rock because then of course you know you have multiple issues there hitting hitting someone if it takes a fall uh, or just crashes into the rock. Even though they have yeah. now they have the sensors that can sense an object, so you're never going to get. Uh, you might you're not going to get the facial angles cuz you're not going to be able to get close enough to that rock, you know what I'm saying? So there's some limitations. You can show the expanse and the wide shot of the the drama of how high and and that si- sense of it, and that's about yeah. it though, but you still need those handheld cameras to get, you know, get in tight um in certain angles that you just can't get with a drone, but the combination is powerful for sure.
1: Right, cuz you did that on the one the Iris. Yeah. When we were sh- Cam uh was flying the drone and you were shooting on uh I don't know one of your one of your cameras.
0: Yeah. I love the drone That's That's for a cool landscape. Piece. Yeah. The drone for landscape is uh you know, it's unmatched to really give you a sense of where you are. And I think like you said on Iris the combination of the uh the drone getting those wides and then you know, switching back to close on the up on the side of the rock. I mean, you just just the combination is really powerful to get and that's the way it is, I think, most of with filming anything is the drone's only really good for certain things.
1: Yeah, no doubt. So and motion uh, now it's good for motion. Now with uh, I got the perspective and the motion for sure, because you get those big pan, I would imagine mm-hmm. and see this is another one of those I could imagine it, but I've never seen it before. Um but i can imagine how dramatic those those landscape panning just broad pan shots must be
0: well and Especially, i should say uh, yeah just the motion just following a river following any any kind of leading lines is just incredible with a drone
1: that's right cuz when you were in montana i remember we were up on in the elkhorns and you were <laughs> you flew it right down that through that creek like through the bushes
0: and it was getting pretty tight <laughs>
1: That was badass.
0: That's the fun thing about the drone is like, how close can I get to this stuff before I wreck what I've, you know, my investment. (laughs) All right. So let's, uh, for the listeners,
1: um, just some like good takeaways. What would you say is from an entry level, just looking to capture some good content out on your adventures? Um, you know what? A, what's a good just sort of entry level uh, camera to do that with?
0: Well, and I like shooting like so. If we do a five day trip or a seven day trip, I like to kind of document it almost like a mini like a documentary style. You know, just following along. I'll do some, and i will do voiceover later on. I'll grab some stuff in the field. So if if you wanted to shoot something like that, um, where you're yeah. just basically documenting a a, a trip. Um, I think the iPhone or, you know, any kind of cell phone that's, that shoots in, I mean, doesn't have to be 4k, but
1: higher resolution. Yeah.
0: I mean, sure. You know, if, that, if you can get the max of the 4k great. if you can't, that's fine. 1080p, whatever's fine too. But cause then how is it going to be presented? You're going to present it. Like I've used my, a, a 1080 projector on a screen at home to share it with folks. So, you know, that's, I'm usually shooting. 4K or 1080P, um, but yeah, the iPhone or the GoPro is an, an amazing tool. The one yeah. downside to both of those cameras, that's super crucial, I found out, was the audio. It's like if you yeah. don't have good audio, and neither one of them. See the thing, because I'm in the mute sound side of the business, is you got to have a, you got to get close to that microphone. Like when we do our podcasts, we're you know we're really close to the mic, so you can hear everything clear. Yeah. With those those two devices, usually you're a few feet away. So you're picking up all the background noise, like if you're near a waterfall, anything that's going on, you're picking up all that sound and you're far from the mic. And I had a lot of issues editing with the GoPro sound. I was just like frustrated sometimes trying to get good audio with it. So those two cameras, but I but if there's any way you could get a wireless and they have them wireless um lavalier mics built for gopros and cell phones and you can just attach right? it I, yeah it's totally right and i'm getting that where learned where something
1: I'm today about. i didn't know that
0: no i will not go out there again with bad audio <laughs> i'm like i've done so uh you know a couple hundred bucks between one and two hundred dollars and you can pick up a really nice wireless mic that'll work with your cell phone so audio is a huge part of the visual which is is uh you know so i that's just my suggestion on on those two cameras with a decent microphone um and then uh, something i learned from a great documentary filmmaker guy i follow on youtube yeah i'll have to i'll have to put his name up there but for docs his schedule is shooting at sunrise so capturing the sun while it's low in the sky so you get that back nice back light and uh just really interesting shots if you can have the sun in the shot, you know, down low in the sky. So sunrise or sunset. So he'll shoot in the morning hours. And then when the sky, when the sun is up overhead, he'll go inside and shoot his interviews. He'll interview people. And then towards the evening hour, the golden hour, he'll go back out and shoot at that golden hour to capture, you know, again, those That's actually amazing, really smart maximizing yeah, a, his
1: time, but Getting best Great, light for the action shots.
0: Right. Great schedule for like a day to day. I mean, that's just for me. Like I would, if I could plan out things that way, that's the way I would do it. And then if you can shoot in open shade or diffuse sky, those are two big ones too, where basically the worst kind of light is the sun at high noon directly overhead. That's yeah, like that, that
1: <laughs> blue light that just, you yeah. get no sort of uh, contrast with anything.
0: Yeah, it's just hard light. Shadows are just you know raccoon eyes. All of that stuff with the hard shadows. <laughs> so that's the other thing. If you can get those two, but you know, in the backcountry, it's hard because you don't always you know you don't always get the opportunity because you're just out there with your friends. Um, the other thing I try to do is get a lot of camera angles. So I'll, I'll count to ten on shots. I'll yeah. just take a shot, count to ten, and then move on. That way, I know I have for editing. I've got. I got no matter what kind of shot it is let's say you just took your backpack off I might shoot you taking your pack off get a shot of the pack up close some part of the pack get a shot of your face close-up a lot of facial close-up stuff and 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 then when you're in editing you can switch you know between all those different shots you've got so if you're you know so that that's super helpful um yeah that's huge
1: because that's now you're it's almost like you got you had multiple camera guys working but you didn't you took the time to set up the shots and that way in post production it's more vis- that's where it really visually, helps your uh, editing appealing
0: yeah totally. totally gives you it gives you options and if you got clean audio you know those two things are are huge um and then i love leading lines out there like cuz depth it's funny how audio music and video creating depth and width is the same kind of it's the same approach Um, yeah in music we set things in reverb way back and then we have things completely dry um, real close to the right up front and those things create depth and same thing with cameras it's like if you have leading lines where you've got a trail that goes off uh, or a river that goes you know goes into the frame you create this dimension uh, you kind of create a three-dimensional you get that three-dimensional feeling when you have those bridges things like that Right. You can sh- shoot those out there. Those are those are amazing out in the on the wild. Um, and then I, you know, the other thing is just try to get that camera in the action. So if you have a stabilized camera, put it in the water. Put it in places yeah. that you wouldn't expect uh, to put it. You know, get close ups of the face. Put it in the water. Feet. You know, you can shoot the feet, the hands, all that stuff. Um, so yeah, I just. That's another another uh, thing that I try to capture, and then, you know, if if you're doing things that are more hardcore action sports, I suggest hiring a guide at least for the first couple because you don't want it. Unless you're Jimmy Chin, you don't want to divide your uh, your thoughts between gear and uh, climbing or safety. You know what I mean? That there's a line there that, you yeah, know, you know, dangerous not to cross, but. Uh,
1: and I think a majority like most listeners are just capture, trying to capture you know the adventure that they're on uh to share with family and friends so it sounds like in that case you can get you can do more than enough with an iPhone and maybe a GoPro is you know a, a step above an iPhone just for um placement like there's so many different types of attachments and um so that, I think that's a uh, good advice as far as, you know, just someone who's not trying to produce very specific content, uh, say yeah. as like, you know, next level being a, a sponsored athlete where it's more specific, but it sounds like it's really easy. Even let's just say you're an amateur or professional athlete and, and, one of your sponsors in your contract, it's, it says you got to do, you know, X amount of Facebook or X amount of social media post every month well, that might be, you know, uh, just keep using the iPhone or the GoPro, but, uh, get yourself that microphone that you're talking about, Mike, that's a couple hundred bucks. And now you're not just shooting the visual part of it. You can, you know, have a, a shot of you maybe climbing or tearing down the hill on your mountain bike, but then you can get down to the bottom and throw your mic on and, and throw your iPhone or your GoPro up on a tripod and be like uh you know give a little bit of uh some dialogue to it. Like, you know, hey, we're out here in the in Helena riding mountain bikes, the weather's beautiful. Now suddenly when you, you know, you post that out on your socials and your sponsors see that it's engaging to your followers and uh it's more intimate. That's what $200 upgrade on top of your already iPhone, and now your content is is taken to the next level. So, oh, yeah, it could bring for more sure. sponsors. You know, makes I know that world being a, a professional adaptive athlete, like sponsorships and endorsements. Like, my whole you know, that Mike, remember like traveling. We were sometimes we didn't even know if we were going to make it to the competition, you know, two, three weeks beforehand because we were trying to secure the funding from from my different sponsors sponsors and stuff yeah yeah and we had to learn the world of you know propose like basically proposing different things and adding value and just being uh constantly ahead of ahead of the game and then i would say on on the the next level is what you you had a lot of great suggestions as far as like camera angles and the more high production stuff that's when you get into the, the what is the DSLRs and and uh, more of the cinematic type cameras that you've utilized more recently or or on some yeah. of our more documentary style stuff.
0: And YouTube but, has come a long yeah. ways, man. For teaching, like every single yeah. thing that I mentioned, I probably learned on YouTube. Every single thing that I mentioned, and you can. Uh, Like when I had to fly to Montana with the new camera, I had got it like two weeks before the trip. I was on YouTube every day (laughs) studying how to set the settings because it was complicated. I mean, there's a lot of different settings and I had to get them down, dialed in really fast. So I was just like, yeah, I was on YouTube like every single day just trying to figure stuff out. So yeah, yeah, it's a huge resource for figuring out literally. That's a good, it's a really good point
1: of just learning your tool too. Uh, You could have the best camera in the world. My dad always talks about that because, you know, he started um, his, like, he loves shooting landscape photography. I love your dad's photography. Yeah. Anybody wants to check out his work, um, his Instagram account is uh, Nature's Taker. And he primarily shoots in Joshua Tree National Park and then He shoots also a lot in the Eastern Sierras, but, um, it was crazy because he started shooting on an iPhone and this was back, I don't know, three or four generations back iPhone. I don't know what that would have been at that time, but definitely not 4k. And, um, just because he got the lighting right and was able to frame things in the right way, you know, people were constantly like, what camera are you shooting on? And they thought, (laughs) you know, it was going to be this like amazing, epic, most expensive top of the line camera and it wasn't he was shooting on an iphone but just understanding lighting and composition and how to frame a picture
0: that's a thing um, your dad had that he had that he he, and that's a really good point is i would rather have an iphone right now and have multiple lights so if i was setting up a shot so i could light the background and light things specifically i would rather have those lights than a better camera because i realize you know the lighting and the framing is is huge. Uh, yeah. You stick a 4K camera up to next to a red, yeah, the red's going to look a little better. But in a really well lit, well decorated scene, it's like, eh, it's it's uh it's minimal. It's just, it's I'm sure all the <laughs> the red camera owners are like, screw you. There's not minimal, but <laughs> but I'm just making the point that uh you know a 4K. I mean they did a Lady Gaga video commercial in the middle of American Idol and they used a 4k camera and, uh, it was, it was absolutely amazing. Yeah. So anyways, I'm a big fan of, uh, cell phone shooting. Yeah,
1: it's, uh, I am too, even as a, a blind individual, it's amazing what I can do on the iPhone just through the, you know, with the accessibility of it, with the screen reader and stuff, it's enabled me to do, um, you know, I shoot a lot of my own content as you know, Mike, nothing, Nothing like high level production wise but it's just pretty cool to be able to pull my camera out wherever I am or pull my phone out and capture those moments yeah. um, so sweet dude, I think there was some really really good advice uh you know, Mike and I are super passionate about content creation. we both have a background in just uh video production and it's um for me, really, it just comes down to you know we get to do we get to go really cool places and have these amazing experiences with our friends and you just have those moments where you want to want to capture them and you want to be able to bring them back and share them with others cuz there's a lot of people out there that don't uh have never experienced the outdoors and that's just crazy to me because wow. it's uh
0: I can't even imagine
1: yeah um so that's for me one of the reasons why I love creating content i love working with mike and you know uh, pushing the limits with uh myself as far as you know being an adaptive athlete but also you know showing the beauty and capturing those beautiful places so that's why i've always been just passionate about um video production and that kind of stuff
0: yeah, it's stunning. I mean, that's what it is. There's some people that can't make it into the backcountry for one reason or another, and so I always get uh, excited about sharing those images with them because they can't go back there. Um and so when they get to see that those places, you know, that's as close as they can get to it, and that's better than not seeing it at all at all.
1: Yeah, the video that you did on the Mountain Wellness Adventure Challenge last year. Um, that was a record snowfall year in the sierras and and one of the things that stood out i got a lot of feedback on that one was people were talking about the shots of the water running off like just basically the snow melt into these alpine lakes and um you know some of these people had never been in a place like that before so to be able to bring him, bring him into that that place and yeah, you know, maybe, maybe it might inspire them to to take a backpacking trip or, you know, get into a spot like that. So that's why
0: that's why I love creating content like that. Dang, now I want to go back. I want to get out there. <laughs>
1: right? <laughs> like, oh, I'm ready. Sweet. Uh, well, we need to plan something, dude. Yeah, it's been a little uh, crazy with the recovery yeah. den 2.0. But once things settle down, I'm ready to. I'm ready to tackle an epic winter adventure here in Montana. Dude, I
0: got to do something in the winter time for sure. I want
1: to I want to sleep in a snow cave and um <laughs> <laughs> I, want, I want that experience. I I, I don't know if I'm going to want to do it again, but I definitely want some some harsh cold winter adventure. That's like yeah. on my bucket list and I'm in yeah. the best place to do that right
0: for sure I man katherine's like good luck with that because man i don't want nothing to do with the cold <laughs> it'll probably but, be uh, more
1: fun uh decompressing and talking about it on the podcast than it will be in the moment it's gonna be like yeah. it's kind of like alpinism you know you talk to those guys they're like yeah it's hardcore when you're in it it's miserable but it's one of those things you get back home and you're like damn i did it like i pushed through that
0: yeah being cold for to... long periods of time is not a It seems not as fun for me so if i can get warm great but if i stay cold for long periods of time it starts to get starts to get get old yeah it makes you feel alive though we that's why we don't have the
1: <laughs> the the beach wellness podcast you know we'd rather be pushing the limits out in the mountains uh, rather yeah. than sip sipping some cocktail on the beach with our feet up i mean that's cool sometimes but i feel alive when i'm I'm out pushing the limits.
0: It's about balance, man. Hardcore. And then what is it? Uh, the, yeah. Yep, Work hard, drink hard. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all
1: right, brother. Well, uh appreciate the the good advice. Um, and I'm looking forward to tackling another adventure with you. and no, for sure. Uh, producing some more content. Um, sweet. Uh thank you guys for gosh we got some um awesome feedback some great reviews recently uh just uh so much love back to you guys you if you want to learn more about mountain wellness you can hop over to our website mountainwellness.life uh we're in the process of doing some upgrades to that want to build out a podcast page so we can start engaging with you guys more we'd love to hear from you um if it's not uh on a review shoot us an email we'd love to hear from you um yeah man we're just so we're, we're really having a good time doing this podcast and if you guys have any suggestions any sort of topics you'd love for us to talk about uh yeah get a hold of us anything you got mike
0: yeah no any questions about production um I guess in the production side of video, audio, you know, you can always shoot us a, shoot us an email for sure. Yeah, that's a good point. And then also I, I, you just reminded
1: me, Mike has done a lot of incredible work uh, in this space. Um, I know on the Mountain Wellness YouTube page, uh, we have a lot of current content that we've done, but also on, is it, Mike, do you have, is it still ride with core productions? Is that your Vimeo?
0: Ah, that's a good point. Yeah. Um, yes.
1: Yeah. So ride, ride with core productions, the Vimeo page is Mike's personal, um, personal, uh, Vimeo page. And he's got a lot of good content that he's produced, especially on some of his backpacking trips with, uh, the man scouts on his, uh, through hikes, I know you got a couple of trips on there. I might have
0: switched those over to, yeah, a couple there, and I think I might have switched some of those over to YouTube, but uh, I'll be uploading the John Muir trip in the next day or two, so I'll have those up there. And then what's your YouTube? What's
1: the YouTube on?
0: That's a good question. I think it's M Media. Um, I just want to make sure it comes out that way.
1: Uh, you, You can look it up right now, too, if you got your computer in front of you
0: yeah i'll post it will post it in our description um on this description i'll post the links
1: okay it'll be in the show notes but yeah there's some great stuff a lot of what we talked about today um between those those three pages uh ride with core productions mountain wellness youtube page and then m media but we'll have all those hyperlinks in the show notes so check it out um and we will catch you guys next week in next episode
0: yeah, I'll see you on the mountain.
1: Sweet. Later, brother.
0: Later